0: We're going to begin a series called Getting a Grip on Life. It'll be three weeks. Today, we're going to talk about getting a grip on failure. And then we're going to talk about getting a grip on complaining. And then we're going to get a grip on our priorities. Getting a Grip on Life, that's the series that we begin this morning. I want to thank all of you for being here. This is an awesome responsibility. Being your pastor for the next several months is something that God planned before today. Do you believe that? It just didn't happen. There are no mistakes. Who would have known that a few weeks ago when I just did pulpit supply, that a few weeks later... I would be your interim pastor. Now, behind every good man is an awesome woman, and she's sitting in the front row. Would you welcome Cheryl? (laughs) And do we have the high school kids in the house today? Where are they? They're in the back. We're going to have to get them in the front, but I got others in the front right here, and we're going to have a good time today. Is the joy of the Lord our strength? Could you come back next week, too? (laughs) That would be awesome. Failure. The word causes us to cringe. In fact, I think for some of us, the very word causes us to recoil, to step back. It causes painful memories of past experiences that we wonder if we'll ever recover from. And throughout generations, great scientists great musicians, great artists, all made glaring mistakes. In fact, a lot of people were viewed as failures at one time in their life. How about this? You'll never amount to very much. That was the Munich schoolmaster talking about Albert Einstein when he was 10 years old. Or how about this one? We don't like their sound. Groups of guitars are on their way out. That was a DECA recording executive who turned down the Beatles in 1962. Or how about this one? Wolfgang Mozart was told by Emperor Ferdinand that his opera, The Marriage of Figaro, was far too noisy and contained far too many notes. <laughs> now, I'm thinking about the idea of failure. and We're not just talking about failure in life, but how many, without raising your hand, feel like maybe you've been a failure spiritually. And in fact, what is the difference between just the average, everyday kind of Christian with those Christians who seem to persevere in extraordinary ways? Is it because they're more disciplined? Is it because they're more committed? Is it because they're more gifted? Is it because they're more spiritual? No, I'm going to make a premise today that I believe the difference in the Christian life between the ordinary and the extraordinary is your ability to respond to failures in your life. And in fact, Henry Ford said it this way, failure is only the opportunity to begin again more intelligently. All of us have failed. And so if you'll take your notes out and... As I go about uh, being your pastor, I just want to let you know how you can make your pastor smile, okay? We're getting to know each other. The, one of the ways you can do that is to take these notes every week, bring this Bible, or your Bible, preferably, and bring a pen and fill those out. We've already identified that some of you um, like that, and I was here last time, firstborns. Did I disappoint? No. You got your notes. Babies of the family, once again, we're just glad you found the room. <laughs> and the middleborns, we still don't care about you. All right, so <laughs> that's our ground rules. Get your Bible, get your notes, get your pen. Let's get going. First of all, failure is a common experience. And here it is number one, or A, everyone fails. Now let's just look at some failures, big ones in the course of history. How would you like the guy who built this tower, the Leaning Tower of Pisa? It was almost 20 feet out of perpendicular. Who planned a 179-foot building with a 10-foot foundation? Love to put that on your resume as an architect, huh? How about this one? Back in 57, Ford bragged about the car of the decade. It was called the Edsel. Unless you lucked out, the Etzel you bought had a door that wouldn't close, a hood that wouldn't open, a horn that kept getting stuck, paint that peeled, transmission that wouldn't cooperate. One business writer described the Etzel sales gra- uh, graph as kind of a, an extremely dangerous ski slope. And in fact, he added, he knew that there was only one instance ever of an Etzel ever being stolen as a car. <laughs> How about this guy? What's his name? Walt Disney. Walt Disney. He went bankrupt seven times. And in fact, I love it when the slides actually go up behind me. This is an awesome day. Seven times he had nervous breakdowns before Disneyland was built. How about artist Vincent Van Gogh? He sold only one painting during his lifetime. He thought he was a failure. And now his paintings go for millions. And then lastly, Thomas Edison, probably the most prolific inventor of all time, yet he was considered unteachable. As a child, all of us are going to experience failure in our lives. Principle number two failure is a process, not an event. Failure is a process, not an event. You love that little bear, don't you? You see, our perception is that if we are a success or a failure in life, that maybe, just maybe, that's a permanent. Part of our experience. You've got living proof right here sitting in front of you that failure doesn't have to be the end game. Amen. These ladies' lives have been changed, and quite frankly, your life has been changed. Amen. Now, I saw some of you have known the Lord for a long time. You're going, dang, I wish I had this awesome testimony where I was saved from the Mexican mafia. But you know what? God has saved you. And your testimony is a changed life. Now, i got to tell you, when, you know, the thing about the last song and crying, do not do that to me. I'm an emotional guy. (laughs) And we all teared up. Because we see that Jesus Christ has made a difference in their lives. And they're making a difference in the lives of these little ones that were sitting up here. Because spiritual moms and dads and spiritual grandmas and grandpas and Awana leaders who are their spiritual aunts and uncles are going to make a difference that will last for eternity. Now, let me give you a definition of failure. It's not a technical definition. This is what I think failure is. It's assuming God is done with us when he's just getting started. Failure is assuming that God is done with us when he's just getting started. Principle number three, God is more interested in your direction than your perfection. God is more interested in your direction than your perfection. And I love the fact that our God is a God of grace, not disgrace. Several weeks ago, I shared the story of my son who was far from God and who was a prodigal in four long years. The miracles... Never cease. He called me the other day and said, hey, Dad, what about Bible school? He just graduated from Cal State Fullerton. He was on the seven-year plan for some of you who are still trying to get that done. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. He's 73 years old. No, he's 25. <laughs> he's 25, and he's asking about Bible school and Multnomah and Cape and Ray and Cornerstone and seminary. Who knows where God's going to take his life? God is a God of grace. Some of you read the book, Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Back, by Charles Swindoll, and that's often the description of our life, isn't it? We make some progress and then we fall back. And if we give up, if we give up, then that's exactly where Satan wants us. You see, God reminds us of this one thing. When we fail, it gives you a simple reminder. I still need him, right? Amen. Say it together. I still need Him. And that's what failure should do. It should drive us back to the Lord. Now, in a humorous way, some of you are golfers. And golf and failure go hand in hand with my handicap. Where are the golfers out there? Okay, we'd like to meet, and if you're more than a 24 handicap, you're my kind of guy. If you're under 12, then we're playing in a scramble together, all right? Everybody else in between, just bring lots of golf balls for me, all right? But some of you know that uh, there was a guy that uh, th- that played golf, and, and if God is a God of uh, grace, not disgrace, I just saw that up there. He also loves us in spite of, not because of, or if. Arnold Palmer was in the 1961 Los Angeles Open, and You know, if you don't know who that guy is, but back in the day, he was the man. In fact, my dad would watch Arnold Palmer play golf every Saturday afternoon on TV. But in that U.S. Open, he took a 12 on a hole. Now, that's bad enough. I mean, he's the greatest golfer of his time. He takes a 12. But how would you like your failure to be put up on a plaque? And this is what the plaque said. It said, on Friday, January 6, 1961, the first day of the 35th Los Angeles Open, Arnold Palmer voted golfer of the year, pro athlete of the year, took a 12 on this hole. <laughs> it's been up there for, what, 40 plus years, that plaque announcing his failure. Well, Arnold has nothing on me. I took a 13 at the 17th hole at Camero Springs. I've tried to forget about it, and there is no plaque. So let's talk about this. Let's get to the Scripture today. That's just kind of an introduction. The bottom line is, let me ask you a question. Do you think the Apostle Paul could have felt like a failure? Because in our eyes, he's a super, a superman. He He's like writer of half the New Testament. But I want to point out to you that I think even The Apostle Paul could have felt like a failure. Now, we're going to have to turn to a lot of passages so you can look on the screen or try to stay up with me, but let me give you the principles. First of all, I think he could have felt like a failure. Principle number one, his persecution of the Christians. That that would have been a failure to him. Look at the screen. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. His life before conversion was the antithesis of his later years but he didn't let his former life chain him to his past. What about the circumstances in your life? What about the circumstances in your life? The circumstances of life and the events of life and the people around me in life do not make me the way I am, but reveal the way I am. So many times we complain and whine, and we'll look at that subject next week, by the way about what happened, and woe is me, and where's God, and what happened here. Your car won't start in the morning because you didn't fill it up with gas. And then you're mad at the car. Let me understand this. The car had nothing to do with your lack of taking care of business. By the way, I have run out of gas twice recently. It's a chance for me to trust God and to get a clue in the future. You see, it doesn't, re- it doesn't cause me to respond. It reveals my character if you're a hothead, if you're an angry person, that circumstance didn't make you angry. It reveals what's in your heart. And so, Paul could have been chained to his past and worried about his persecution of the Christians. Secondly, his self-assessment was he was the chief of sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15 says this, here's a trustworthy statement saying uh, saying that des- deserves full acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Ephesians 3, 8. By the way, let's turn to 1 Timothy. I just wonder, just real quick here. I want to see something here. Because every once in a while, something goes off in my head. Yeah, 1 Timothy 1:15. Of whom I am foremost of all. He thought that he was a sinner. Now, was he just being humble? No, he recognized that he had come a long way, but he could have felt like he was a failure if he let his mind go that place. God had forgiven him, but probably one of the biggest issues in Paul's life is he had to learn at some point that he had to forgive himself. God had already done the good work of grace, but he had to forgive himself. Give me a moment just to talk to these folks. Your future is going to be tied to your ability to believe what I just said. You've done enough of beating yourself up. You've done enough about the woulda, shoulda, couldas. And you don't have to be Perfect. God is more interested in your direction than your perfection. But there's accountability, isn't there? Sometimes you got to start over. You mess up and you start over. And you know what? Everybody in this room, everybody in this room has an example of where they had to start over. Some of you right now, during this time of waiting for your next pastor... is exactly what God had intended for you. You are in God's waiting room. And there are certain things that he wants to get done in our lives over the next two, three, four months, however long I have to be with you. And it is my commitment, it is my pledge, and it is my desire that you would come into a full relationship with Jesus Christ. These pastor chats may be, by the way, as helpful for me as they are for you because I'm not perfect. I mess up. But here's what I know. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. I am not chained to my past. I don't have to live with the misery or regret of the woulda, shoulda, couldas because I could give you a boatload of those. And so Paul could have felt like that. Thirdly, he could have felt like a failure because his values and his priorities were misguided. Now, if you'll take the time, turn with me to Philippians chapter three. I wanna show you something very interesting. Philippians chapter three. And as you turn there, let me read to you verse 8. That's the summary of his experience. It says, What is more I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things that I consider them but rubbish that I might gain Christ. Now you gotta read that in context of the rest of Philippians chapter 3. Go back a bit and you see his resume. He had a very impressive re- resume. Look at Starting with verse 4, although I myself consider the confidence in the flesh, if anyone has mind to put a confidence in the flesh, I far more. Look at the list of things that he had. He was circumcised the eighth day. If If you're one of those who like to mark things in your Bible, this is time to mark. Circumcised the eighth day, that's all about ritual. Of the nation and people of Israel, he had the right race. Of the tribe of Benjamin, that's the right family. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, of course, the right religion. As to the law, a Pharisee, he knew how to keep the rules, didn't he? As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, look at that resume. And then ultimately, as to righteousness in the law, found blameless. That's all about his reputation. The ritual, race, family, religion, rules, resume, reputation, stellar. But he says all of that stuff And imagine a balance here. All of that stuff out there is nothing. It's rubbish compared to this side, which is knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things that I might gain Christ. Do I have an amen in the house? You've got to be back next week. You've got to be back. You see, that's what he was about. And guess what, ABF friends? We can't just get to know Jesus casually, can we? It's not something we just go, oh, maybe if I have time. You make time to eat. Some of us make more time to eat. You and me, brother. Okay. But you know what? We make time for the things that are most important to us. High school kids back there. Where are you again? Just raise your hands. They're still awake. Awesome. (laughs) I can tell you for a fact. In fact, let's just bear it out right now. High school kids... If you want to get to know, gentlemen, some young lady, do you spend any time with her? Or do you just ignore her? Well, if you're embarrassed, you get all sweaty hands and you ignore her. But naturally speaking, if you want to get to know someone, you spend time with them, don't you? Texting. Texting. No time, just texting. You see, we spend time, we spend time with the people that we want to get to know. Some of you have been married. A long time my wife and I have been married 34 years I guess that means you started Awana in 1978 <laughs> 1978 you started Awana because that's the year we got married and we spent all this time together because I was wooing her and wanting her and the challenge was on and then we got married <laughs> and the romance continues even 34 years later she's still my best friend She's still the best cook on the face of the planet. She has borne me two children. And that oldest one, Katie, is going to give us our first granddaughter, Lord willing, yeah. November 7th. So when you have the right priorities, you spend time with those people. And if you have the right priority, if you want to know God, you've got to spend time with Him. Amen. Yes, sir. Number four, Paul could have felt like a, a failure because his life was associated with hardships, with hardships. Now, I've put that up on the screen. This verse will be up here in a second. And it comes from 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 to 30. Look at what he went through. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. That means he nearly died because 40 lashes minus one, they figured if you hit 40, you're dead. Five times he went through that. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned not that kind. Um, just Just clarifying, what kind of stone are we talking about here? What are the chances Teen Challenge would be here? And I'm reading that passage. Only God. All right. Uh, three times I was shipwrecked I spent a night and a day in the open sea I have been constantly on the move I've been in danger from rivers danger from bandits from my own countrymen dangers from Gentiles danger in the city in the country in the sea I mean dangers everywhere false brothers I've labored and toiled. I've gone often without sleep that sounds actually like a college student but maybe it was also Paul I have been known to be hungry and thirsty, gone without food, cold and naked. Verse 28, besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of concern for all the churches. Who is weak, and I do not feel weak. Who is led in sin, and I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. When you are weak, he is strong. Amen? Amen. So he could... Have felt very successful, but doubted the fact that maybe all these, maybe I brought all this on me. Maybe he wondered, is the lack of pain or suffering in my life mean that I'm not successful or maybe I'm a failure? Let me give you a clue about suffering. If you start in the book of Generous, Gen- generous and Genesis, <laughs> and by the way, be generous in that offering plate, Genesis through Revelation, 66 books of the Bible, they all Talk about suffering. Every single book of the Bible will tell you that there's a purpose in suffering. And so, Christians, suffering is the normal Christian life, not the exception. Now, some of us, that suffering develops our character. We know that from James chapter 1. Bernie Marcus in 1978 was the son of a poor Russian cabinet maker in Newark, New Jersey, and he was fired by the handy Dan. Do it yourself hardware retailer. But that changed his life because Bernie Marcus met a guy by the name of Arthur Blank, and in 1979 they opened their first store in Atlanta, Georgia, and it's called now the Home Depot. Now, 760 stores and counting, employing more than 157,000 people with $30 billion in sales. I'm sure. Bernie Marcus is thanking God every day for when Handy Dan fired him. You see, sometimes it's those difficulties in life that give you the greatest opportunities. I got fired once. I was a a pastor in Yorba Linda, and I had been there eight months, and I got fired. And it was a crazy set of circumstances. But when it was all said and done, I have told people time and time again, getting fired At that church was one of the best things that ever happened to me because all of us have felt and experienced times of injustice and sometimes it gets made right but most of the time it will not every time you go through a difficult circumstance in life you can waste it or you can learn from it now my story has a great ending because 20 months later they rehired me along with all the other management team that they fired And what an awesome, awesome day that was. You see, because during that time of introspection and wondering about what is God going to do with my life, He allowed me to learn some things that I could only learn in the valley of that experience. Some of you have been in that valley, and now you're coming back out of that valley, and now you see clearly that God had a purpose and plan for you. But it's not just for these girls. He has a purpose and plan for your pain. Here's some things I got to experience because I got fired. When you are not working, there's a little principle. You don't work, you don't eat. (laughs) Making a house payment, that's a pretty big deal. So I decided I'd be unemployed for two days and mourn. And by Monday, I then became self-employed. Within that first month, I started a little thing called a search business. You say, what's a search business? Something like what SingShot does. And I began to help churches find pastors. In fact, I had no idea they'd actually pay you to do that. Number two, I always love football. I decided I'd become a high school football official. And I started roughing high school football. I found once again that there are parallels in life. If they don't like your sermons on Sunday morning, they let you know. If they don't like your call on Friday night, they let you know. <laughs> I got to do that. In fact, I got to, to referee some of the biggest games in Southern California. What a fun experience. I decided I always wanted to be a teacher. I went out and took the C-best and I started substitute teaching. I substituted from third grade all the way up through junior high. Never made it to high school, just they kept me at eighth grade. <laughs> my favorite sport or my favorite subject in school growing up was P.E. God in his providence found me favor with a school right around the corner from my house where multiple times I was the substitute PE teacher at a junior high school. Nothing gets better than you're being God's witness to junior high kids who only God loves and their parents. (laughs) Just The junior highers left, that's why I said that. High schoolers schoolers are going, true that, true that. (laughs) And as I... Went to that school. It was amazing because I loved to go to the Esperanza football games. I'd see those kids at the football games. Hi, coach. How you doing? God had it all planned out. And in his providence, when I got fired, there was a church just like ABF who needed an interim senior pastor. And in my lowest, darkest moments, thinking I was on the shelf and God couldn't use me, the Evangelical Free Church in Cyprus hired me to be their pastor, and I did that for a year and ultimately helped them find their next pastor. And today, that is just an ongoing ministry, of blessing that God brought into our life. Amen. I don't know what difficult time you're going through, but I know this. God is there and is in the middle of it with you. Next, his preaching wasn't eloquent. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 on the screen. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. Remember the first time any of you had to give your testimony? <laughs> <laughs> Knees are shaken. And so my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the power, the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom but on God's power. One of my prayers for UABF is that my method as the messenger never confuses the message. Now, you already kind of know that I'm twisted, uh, just a bit. I, I like to laugh. I want this to be a joyous experience. I don't want you coming to church saying, oh boy, Pastor John's here. The old ball and chain is going to help us repent again. You know what? There is time for that. But on Sunday morning, Jesus is alive. Amen. Amen? And so, he was preaching wasn't very eloquent. In fact, most people uh, think that maybe his thorn in the flesh fresh wasn't that he couldn't talk. He was definitely could speak. We know he could write. But it might have been his eyesight was bad. So, how would you get up? You couldn't ever read your notes. Plus, they had those big scrolls back then. Moses, thank you, Moses felt that way, right? Moses wasn't very eloquent. In fact, he tried to get out of serving God, and someday I'll give you the five excuses that Moses gave God as to why he couldn't serve him. Same five excuses we give today, and he, he maybe had a stuttering impediment. Number six. Paul could have felt like a failure because his salvation was questioned. Look at Acts nine twenty six, And when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Now get the story. This is pretty funny. So you have this experience with God. And now you say, I'm on your team. Hello, Paul. You're the one who's been trying to kill us. Now you want to join us? No, no, you're part of the FBI, the The CIA, the NSA, you're out to take on the whole Christian subculture. You're trying to infiltrate us. And Paul says, no, no, really. This light came down, boom, I went blind. Uh Uh-huh, whatever you say. Now, we read this as Christians having been in the Word for years going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God has a sense of humor because Paul believed that he could just walk in and say, hey, I'm one of you. And thank goodness he had a friend who vouched for him. Aren't you glad when someone vouches for you? When your character's been maligned, when you've been attacked, when you've been through a divorce, when you lost a job, when there's been a death of a loved one, when you've been gossiped about, when you flunked out of school, There's all kinds of things where it's so great to have a Barnabas in your life, someone who stands with you. Lastly, I think Paul could have felt like a, a failure because his prayers weren't answered. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 10. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away this from me. First time, but he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. First 10, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And there it is again, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And ultimately, he is strong. He wanted that thorn to go away. God uses us when we are vulnerable, not just victorious. So let's wrap it up. Chad's going to come in a bit, and we're going to worship to bring this, land this plane. How do you overcome the debilitating effects of a spiritual failure or any kind of failure, a moral failure in your life, whatever kind of failure? Number one, you've got to let go of your past. Look at Philippians 3.13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is head. Forgetting what is behind. Someone said it this way, failure isn't so bad if it doesn't alter the heart. Success is all right if it doesn't go to the head. Peter, big failure, denied Christ three times. But God restored him. Jesus reinstates Peter. Check out John 21. How about contrasting that with Judas? Denied Christ in a different way. Was a traitorous disciple. He failed miserably. It led to his death. Changed the course of history. He thought that there was no way he could forgive himself. You see, Peter repented. Judas lived with regret big difference. If you want to live with regret, it will sink you. It will destroy you. It will demoralize you. It will decimate you. And so, ultimately, the answer to failure is accepting the forgiveness that God freely gives to you. You see, some of, some of you, John, Pastor John, you don't know. I just keep making the same stupid mistakes Welcome to the children of Israel, 40 years of making mistakes and paying for it. You see, we will make mistakes. We will mess up. And I know you say, you've said that a few times. But I don't think we believe it, that we can let go of the past. David Brinkley asked advice columnist Ann Landers the question, what question she was most frequently receiving from her readers, and it was this question, her answer, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? You see, we, lived in this, we live in this context of being fearfully and wonderfully made. We're in the image of the king, and yet we've sinned and we've fallen badly. And grace and forgiveness and redemption is the bridge between those two ends for us. Number two, learn to deal with the present. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 10, I'll put those on the screen, but I'll just look at this one part of verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, crushed but not, uh, but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned. Joseph's life took on unbelievable adversity. He was hated by his brothers, rebuked by his father, sold into slavery, wrongly accused of sexual misconduct, forgotten by Pharaoh, on and on. He could have had a pity party, but thankfully he didn't. This poem probably represented best as I can see it. God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be confused. If I cannot trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. For some of you, you've been holding on and not trusting that God's heart for you is to take the next step. The third way we can deal with failure is to look forward to the future, Philippians 1.6. It is my favorite, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on. A whole other sermon, we could talk about things that never fail. God's righteousness never fails, Isaiah fifty one. His compassions never fail, Lamentations 3. His covenant never fails, Psalm 89. But the bottom line is, we can't give up. We look to the future. I'll close with this story. It was the early 1900s. And the famous Paderewski was doing concerts all over New York City and was in Carnegie Hall. And on that night... A young mother brought her nine-year-old son to join in with her to see this immortal Paderewski play the piano. Well, she sat down, she looked left briefly, she looked right, and to her horror, her son's gone. Where did he go? I mean, he's nine years old, there's 3,000 people here. And sure enough, he'd walked onto center stage and began to play this song. And as he's playing that song, Chopsticks, that's the only thing he knew, he kept playing. Well, the crowd wasn't nearly as forgiving as you are, and they began to jeer and, and, to, and to insult him and say, get him off the platform. who bring a kid like that here? Well, Paderewski was over here. As he heard the jeering of the crowd, he came and put his arms around this little boy. And he began to play a beautiful counter melody. And the entire time, while he's playing with that young boy, he was whispering into his ear, and he said this, Don't stop. You can do it. Don't quit. Keep on playing. My friends, isn't that the gospel? Let's pray. As Chad just leads us in worship in a second, I want to close with this. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? You see, for some of us, we just feel like the Christian life, we're just playing chopsticks. We've messed up so badly. We've beaten ourselves up. We wonder if there's ever going to be forgiveness. But what an awesome Sunday to see these 40 women who have been redeemed, who have been saved, who are in the process of accepting God's forgiveness. They're all in different journeys at different places. Maybe some still struggling with exactly where God fits in their life. But we know that our God is mighty to save, that He's the one that can make a difference in your broken life? ABF friends, I know this is a difficult time. Doggone it, two years. You're saying, Lord, what? What do we need to learn? We don't have a pastor. Let me clarify that. You do have some pastors. You've got some great pastors, Chad and John and your staff don't lose hope. God is preparing us, all of us, for something greater than we could ever, ever imagine. And maybe right now, he's just saying, you've got to let go of this stuff. So do me a favor, and you'll see me do this often with you. Every time I get done preaching, there ought to be a decision to be made, a truth to be claimed, a promise to comprehend. A behavior to change because God's Word is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword so if there's something that's chaining you to your past and you need to let go of it today I just want you to look at me I don't need to know what it is you gotta let go of that you gotta give that to God you gotta let go of that you gotta let go of all of that God take this thing in the back Let go of it. Over there, let go of it. God is the one who brings healing. God is the one who is the only trustworthy source for your future. And so today, let's close by worshiping Him. Heavenly Father, take that thing and we give it to you as we, we go before your throne room tonight, today, and we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus. Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the same today and forever. We give glory to you today, God. And now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, To the only wise God be glory and majesty and dominion and power now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen. God's people said, Amen. Go with the joy of the Lord. God bless.